Welcome, everyone, to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Hola. Como estas? Las Biblioteca. What's up, man? <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. Had a week off there. We did have a week off. A little impromptu week off. Yeah, that was my fault. I uh, Getting old, man. Like, shit didn't happen when I was younger. You know, I was uh, at work and I tweaked my knee and I had to put in a workman's comp claim. I had to go to urgent care. They took an x-ray. Um, and I thought... I just tweaked it. You know, I tweaked it on Thursday. I was like, I'll take Friday off. I'll be back on Monday. Uh, the lady gave me a week's worth of time to, to take, and I'm glad she did because I needed every fucking bit of it. Mm. Um, and I went back to work for two days, and last night my uh, my knee was hurting. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it feels fine now, but... Ice it down or something at night. Fucking sucks, man. Like I said, mm. getting old. You remember being young? No. No, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no yeah, absolutely, I do. Uh, yeah, man, like I'd go to go to work unloading a truck, very physical work, and I'd be tired as hell at the end of it, but not sore yeah. at all. No, yeah. no soreness the next day, nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's that uh, resilience that you used to have that starts to go away, and it's weird because it's like a shock. You know, mm-hmm. it's like um, soreness in my back, soreness in my neck. How long it takes for like a pulled muscle. F- to feel better it's like at least a week and a half yeah. you know at least yep. it's weird man it's bullshit it's bullshit and then you wonder how much worse it's gonna get now you like you know look at somebody like my dad or or uh you know some of the older folks around and i just wonder like how much worse does it get yeah it's like how are you just working through the pain are you just grinding through it you know well i, I think there's p- partly you adapt but like my mom she had to get she had to get like all of her joints replaced one by one by one. They were all bad, you know. She had to get her hips replaced and all this stuff, knees and all this. And uh, when she went and had all those scans done, and they're like, "Oh, it's just been bone on bone for all these years." It's like, yeah, she was fucking. She was just pushing through that pain day after day after day, it's crazy week after week after week. As a soldier. Oh man, um, it makes makes me want to be healthier, you know. Like mm-hmm. I try to s- curve off what I can. I feel I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, I've been trying a little bit. I've been trying to not make. You know, I haven't been like full keto or anything, but I just been trying to make better decisions. Yeah, like, this is just black coffee. Yeah, things well, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I've been trying. I've been failing a lot lately, though. Yeah, failing. Yeah. This morning I had to. My wife, like, she was like, oh, this breakfast sausage is going to go bad. I better make breakfast. I'm like, oh, here we go. I don't usually eat breakfast. Yeah. And then she's like, all right, I have everything we need for breakfast burritos. 
There you and, go. So, they, so I, I, ordinarily, I wouldn't be eating the tortillas. Like, yeah. I had three of them motherfuckers. A breakfast burrito yeah. bowl. I should have done that. Well, I mean, the tortilla. I, I don't know why that that the tortilla just makes it so much better. It's bread, you know? Bread's yeah. magic. Bread is magic. I didn't appreciate... You know, my brother, Corey, has always loved bread. He's, like, been a huge bread fan. And I never really appreciated bread until... I, I mean, not recently, but, like, later in life, I remember not really... Caring that much for bread, but well, it's man, like good well, bread. Yeah, but good bread. That's exactly. The thing. That's exactly. The thing. Like, <laughs> so me and my wife will, from time to time, we'll talk about um, Romano's Macaroni Grill. You know, it's just a, just a chain Italian restaurant. But back in the old days, I don't know if they still do this. Um, they used to bring you this this little loaf of rosemary bread with the olive oil. You know how the Italians mm-hmm. would dip their bread in the olive oil. So you get this little little round, fresh baked, hard crusted, uh, mini. You know loaf of rosemary bread and just rip off little pieces in the in the oil god damn so good. good and then there's things like stuffing thanksgiving stuffing yeah covered in gravy well, all that is is bread right soaked with like the turkey juices yeah absolutely and then the gravy is nothing but flour wheat flour butter. that you put you put into the to the fat you know what i mean yeah so butter you, flour and just like flavor dripping so yeah, that's you it. just you just drip all that delicious wheat juice onto your wheat fluffy soaky <laughs> stuffing it is delicious it's one of the best things period i've been cooking a lot and recently i've been kind of Working on making uh, pan sauces, like you take a a piece of chicken or a pork chop and you fry it in a frying pan, and you get that, um, you know, the like residue on the pan that that uh, you know when you wash it, you just like scrape it up. Yeah, yeah. But if you put like a liquid in there, you deglaze that. That's all flavor. So you just make like a. a a sauce in the pan after you cook yeah. something. Is that and like a, like a reduction with wine, yeah, or exactly. do you make a roux out of it? No. Uh, well, I mean, if you make a roux, you're you're making like more of a gravy, mm, yeah. um, which is where I was going. I've been making gravies too, yeah. so I've been eating more of that kind of stuff recently, um, and that is definitely not doing anything for my <laughs> like healthy choices. You know, yeah, lots yeah. of gravy, lots of. Although the pan sauce is technically keto, I mean, yeah, pan sauce is fine. I think, yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> butter is the worst thing in that. You remember when we were doing the crazy long fasts? Yeah. That shit did not help me lose weight at all. Really? At all. I think it might have even you're, like you're already pretty thin though, so maybe oh. that's why. You you definitely are. You Ish, got you gosh. got like a what's the word? What's the like anorexia? PC thing that people say you've got a like body dysmorphia. Oh, I definitely have that. Yeah, there's, no, no, you're, doubt, you're, there's no doubt about it. You're a pretty thin bastard, and you no. just think that you're uh, you're no. like this giant pudgy fuck. I'm a, I'm a desk because I'm okay. All right, next subject. <laughs> <laughs> next subject. I want to tell you something. Um, this past week, I think it was, in my regular job, uh, I had like a training, and it was days long. And it was you know a lot of times you're just sitting there listening to somebody speak, Drone on. right? So I was kind of locked in here in the studio, and uh, I couldn't go anywhere. It was for you know, like ten hours, like ten hours, man, like, in a stretch. So I ended up doing a lot of cleaning in here. So I don't know if you noticed. It looks uh, nice. I swept, I dusted, cleaned the baseboards. I, that's how bored. That's how bored I was. I, I changed where the power cord runs in here from okay. from behind me because it used to kind of get in the way of my chair to underneath, okay. right underneath, <laughs> shit like that. Yep. Um. So anyway, I just I just wanted to share that story with you I, I i turned into i turned into quite the uh quite the maiden here it looks nice we uh we hung up i hung up a uh fireplace mantle in here so i could get some of the books off the ground yep and 
It's pretty rugged. It's pretty cool. It looks classy. Yeah. It's nice. It's got the uh, the Mandelbrot picture behind it and the giant Two Tongues logo. Two Tongues, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Um, you know, I was talking... I, I got hurt at work, and I've been thinking about work. And, I mean, so far I like this new job that I have. Um, but I've been thinking about, like moving up in a company Mm -hmm. and I always feel like I'm a great candidate for being promoted. Like I do a good job, um, you know, all that. But then, so at my company, we have this app that, oh, it's all, it's like a group chat app that everyone who works at the branches is in. Um, and there's this one guy and he's already like promoted. He's, he's like, uh, like a low level manager. And he's just like, I will never be this guy. Uh, and it's, I, I'm like proud of the fact that I won't be this guy. All right, let's hear it. It's like, like he'll get in the group chat and he'll be like, you know, let's do this the company name way, you know, like, like, like real, like rah, rah. Mm. And it's just like, dude, calm. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, I, I don't know. I just don't like, um, I just don't buy it as genuine, first yeah. of all. Yes. Uh, like, why do you fucking care this much? Like, I care enough to do a good job and, like, earn my paycheck and want to do things, um, you know, in a way that makes me a better employee, uh, but not enough to be, like, a, like, like a, like a, a really corny motivational speaker about, like, if you're a really corny motivational speaker about, I don't know, like, improving your life, that's one thing, but if you're doing it about, like, you know, corporate pest control. I just like, you know, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I uh, could couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I think it. It's listen. I I I don't want to say that it's not possible for somebody to be that enthusiastic about their employer because people love teams. Yeah, that's true. And maybe you just some people just like to identify and wear the colors and you know be you know, whatever. Maybe maybe. But I completely 100% agree with you. It's like, it's like, listen, man, I, I do the things I do to the standards that I do them to, to for me. Yeah. Not because I'm not because of the company I work for, for me. And I can think about myself like, like a commodity, you know, people like doing business with people, people who listen to this podcast for longer than one episode do it mostly because they like one of us or both of us. You know, it's like, um, it's about it's about people. It's not about groups. And we talked about that in all sorts of ways. And and if you're gonna if you're gonna identify with a group, there are bet much better, more more, <laughs> more more genuine options than your employer. Sure. You know, how about your family? Yeah. How about your you know culture, your religion, your country? There there are other choices, man. Yeah. And there there are people in my life that are like that, that are very, very gung ho. And in big, in like the big Fortune 500 world, it's kind of culty, yeah. Because they have the money to make it culty. Oh, okay. It gets like a Scientology vibe. I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. So I've been to these, you know, big conferences, and you know, they they they'll send you somewhere 
you know, out of state someplace. Everyone gets together, spend all this money at the big fancy hotel. They've got like a music act or a comedian or somebody for entertainment. They're like whining and dining you, you with know, a fancy cloth cloth napkins. You always hear comedi- comedians talk about uh, the corporate, the the classic corporate gig. Mm. You ever heard them talk about that? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly yeah. it, man. So in so so, uh, I'll just describe to you. The bra- company Brass will come out, and they're all up on a stage, and they're pretending like they're talking to us like they're in the trenches with us. You're not. You're not in the fucking trenches with us, man. You're wearing a thousand dollar suit, sir. You're not in the trenches with us. And uh, uh, it's a nice ass trench if you are. So there's that whole thing. Plus, there's lingo that goes that goes along with it. Oh, yeah. There's always lingo that goes along oh, with yeah. it. So they, they had these towels that they put on the back of all the chairs in this big dining hall with a, with a, with a freaking uh, uh, stage in the front with all the lights and the music and the, right, and the, all that stuff, man. All the accoutrements. All and these towels are designed like we're at a football game. When there's something exciting happens, that people will spin the towels over their heads. A bunch of white colored people in suits and blouses and and you know, like Spin, a crazy person spinning a towel about like quarterly sales goals or uh, something. Yes, yes. Fucking weird. And the weird part is that there's pressure to conform with that. It's also weird that that people think it works, and it's even weirder that there are very likely some people. To which it does work. Um, yeah. I was thinking that earlier. There's definitely the type of manager or supervisor that I respond best to and the type that I would be uh, and have been is just like leading through example and like answering questions when they come up. Um, not this like clapping your hands like, you know, yeah. like not that's not me. Yeah, exactly. And, but I guess some people might need that. Like I like the other kind. Some people might need that. Yeah, man. So listen, I agree. I think the best type of manager is one that leads by example. Mm-hmm. And I think one that is is invested in developing the people under them. So it's like I'm looking out for you. Yeah, that's I good. want you to get better. I want you to I want you to figure out what your next step is. Those are the kind of managers that make you feel like you can. And you're going to get a lot more out of someone like me with that kind of encouragement. So that that part I I can get down with. Um I, and w- what comes to mind is like uh sometimes like especially in the corporate context, you're going to you're going to have like a self-help or motivational type type person you'll have to listen to in one form or another if, if it's a manager or if it's somebody in a big presentation like this that gets brought in to kind of amp up the sales team or whatever it is mm-hmm. um you, you see that kind of thing and it just seems like if you drink the kool-aid <coughs> you might you might be like pumped about that for like a day or maybe two days if you have a really good memory <laughs> yeah. you know but after that I can't imagine it working for anybody, but there must be people that it does, man. There must be. Yeah, I think maybe they have to, like, keep redoing that, too. Like, maybe not on that big, like, scale, mm. but they, they do things to, like, keep themselves in that mindset. I can see how that would be helpful, you know, but um, I don't think I have the energy for it. It just seems kind of like 1984-ish to me, you know? Yeah. 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 For sure. But yeah, I just don't have that in me. I, I'm not. 
Can't do it. I've got an interesting history lesson that I learned on the internet the other day. You want to hear it? Sure. You know the symbol for the heart? Yep, he just did it with his with his hands. Yes, yeah. the symbol is just draw a little heart. Yes, symmetrical heart. So that symbol obviously it, it goes way, way, way back it's, into history. It's weird because honestly, like I don't know, a few days ago to a week ago, I was wondering like why do we represent a heart as that weird like loop top pointy bottom shape? You know, you're about so, to. You're yeah, about, that's crazy. You're about to find so out. So serendipitous. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually like kind of interesting. Okay, so it goes way, way, way back to, like, ancient um, Middle East. Um, it comes from a plant. That's the thing. It comes from a plant. Is it a flower? A here's bleeding what, heart? Here's, what's get, here's what gets interesting. What plant it was has been lost to uh, time. Nobody knows what plant it was. Crazy. But there's records of it, like, from ancient Rome. And uh, let me read you what I, uh, what I found here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, so the plant, the plant was known as um, silphium, silphium, and the, and the Roman emperor had like a, like a stockpile of it, okay. and they, the speculation is that whatever plant that was, maybe had a leaf that was shaped like a heart, something like that, but this is what silphium was used for. Uh, it was used as a perfume, as an aphrodisiac, and as a form of birth control. So perfume, aphrodisiac, birth control. That's why the heart got associated with romantic love, because it was used to get boners and to prevent and to have sex with it without consequences. That's crazy. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. That is crazy. And it's even cooler because the plant's been lost. Nobody knows what the plant was. Yeah. Just like like the Kaikion drink that they that they would drink in ancient Greece during the Eleusinian mysteries nobody has any idea yeah. like the soma like yeah. the soma from ancient persia nobody has any idea it's it's interesting man it is crazy um i i i can think of like i said bleeding hearts but you know i don't i don't think that's got any psychedelic property and then uh red bud trees have a heart shaped leaf oh yeah that's all i can think of yeah i'm sure i mean there's obviously there's got to be other stuff but Silphium. Silphium. Yeah. Talk talk closer to the mic, man. Trying to. Okay. I'll pull it closer to me. It's got to. All right. All right. So um, now on to more serious topics. Uh, I want to ask you about Russia because there's two things that I saw recently that were interesting. There obviously, Russia's in the news every single day. And it has been that way for a month. Uh, Russia and Ukraine. But I saw this article and it said... There's this place called Kaliningrad. Uh, I wasn't aware of this. I looked it up, and I actually drew a little map so I could show you. So, all right, so you got Ukraine, Russia's over here, mm -hmm. and Belarus is to the north of Ukraine and borders Ukraine and Russia. And then Poland is, is uh, bordering Belarus on the other side. And then you've got this little piece of land. Oh, yeah. Right? It's not connected to Russia at all. Yeah. But up above it, you have Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. So you have this tiny little bit of Russia here where the rest of Russia is way over here, right? Yeah. So this article that I saw said that this city and this whole, this whole little plot of land, uh, you know, where Kaliningrad is, that it used to belong to Prussia. It was a part of Prussia. And when you look at the map, you're like, oh, okay, I can see that. It, how, why would this be part of Russia at all? It's separated by many countries from Russia. 
because during World War I, it was a whole other structure there. And, the, and, the, and, Pr- and Prussia included many countries that are, are independent now, right? So, yep. so Russia ended up getting somehow to keep it after the First or Second World War. I don't remember the, the details. But there's a general in Poland who said, we, it, it's ours. Pr- we were part of Prussia. And Kaliningrad was a Polish land. And, and we have a claim to this city and this plot that Russia has claimed since the Second World War, or First World War. A general in Poland. And I was like, oh my God. That's sort of an interesting twist in this whole thing. That you might have, by the way, that little piece of land, Kaliningrad, it goes up to, uh, butts up to uh, some body of water. And now my failure of geographies is going to be obvious. I don't remember what body. I think the Black Sea's down below. Uh, Caspian. Oh shit, I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, it, there's some strategic value to the land. That's obviously why Russia has it. Now, if Poland's talking about maybe it belonging to them and they have, they have a right to it, while all this chaos is going on between Russia and Ukraine, and it's like making me wonder, Poland is a NATO country, and Russia's been bombing western Ukraine, which... They, they bombed a, a city that was like 18 miles from the border of Poland or, so, or 13 miles or something like that. So you've got like real fear in Poland uh, that Russia might be expanding or, or, you know, may expand what they're doing in Ukraine and maybe into Poland. And they're thinking about this as maybe an opportunity to steal back this piece of land that used to be theirs historically. And it's just like... Well, you know, World War Three type shit starts coming to my head. Yeah, it's very, sure. it's very scary, but <clears throat> but it just doesn't that strike you as strange? Because I don't know, man. Maybe this is my ignorance. But Poland doesn't strike me as a military power. That you know, I I know in the Second World War they were conquered in like no time by the Germans. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to me like like Poland is the kind of is in the kind of position to say, oh yeah, <laughs> while while Russia's busy with Ukraine and they're you know struggling militarily, you know, in some people's eyes, we might sneak over here and take this take this plot of land back that you took from us 100 years ago or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it doesn't seem good. It uh, seems scary. Uh, you just... Uh, there's a lot of stuff going around right now that's, like, just scary, man. This te- The territorial boundary stuff, it's like I just don't know what the benefit is in the grand scheme of things to fight over it anymore. Let's just be the countries we are and deal with each other peacefully and, you know, uh, you know, trade with each other and fucking let bygones be bygones, man. Yeah. Like, no. You know, the Palestinians want this, the Israelis want that, the fucking Russians want this, the, you know, Polish want that. And it's like, yeah, we've been there, man. We've been there in the the 19-teens. We've been there in the 1930s. We've been there already, man. We want to bicker over boundaries anymore? Like, it just seems like it's so dangerous and so destructive, and I don't know what the fucking good is, man. Yeah. Um, you wonder... I, I Did you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with that dude Mike Baker, who was a CIA agent? I've seen him on there many times, but I didn't listen to the recent one. I don't like that one. dude, man. You don't like the I just, Mike Baker? I mean... He admits to working for the CIA, so I have no reason to believe that he's not just, like, a disinformation guy, you Mm. know? Um, He goes on there, and he's, like, you know, he kind of has right, you know, conservative leanings. Um, So I'm sure that, you know, 
a lot of people who feel that way listen to it and they're like, oh, this guy's all right, you know? So they believe all the stupid shit that he says. Um, like, at one point he's talking about why, um, you know, Ru uh, Vladimir Putin's motivations for what he's doing in the Ukraine. Um, and I just, like, he boils it down to, I mean, a lot of times the same stupid thing that the news kind of does, you know, is that, um, and one thing that he said is that uh, he's an irrational actor. Um, and I just don't know that I necessarily believe that. I mean, if, if, especially if you are saying that the United States is a rational actor, then I don't really, I just don't think that, uh, that seems like a bit of a double standard to me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, the the whole thing, it, like you said, I just uh, I don't understand what the benefit is. It seems like the the negative outcomes are, you know, way more uh, that's how, prevalent. That's you know? how it seems to me. <clears throat> so not only that, not only do we have this thing in this um, general in Poland saying that stuff about uh, Kaliningrad, but then, and I'm sure you saw this this because it's been all over the news yesterday and this morning, that when Biden was in Poland. I think he is actually in Poland still. Um, that he said uh, at the end of his speech about Putin, this man cannot remain in power. He said that on TV. Yeah. And them's fighting words, man. Jesus Christ. So those two things together, uh, they're just making me scratch my head. It's just, I just don't, I just never could have imagined us falling into these same mistakes that were so detrimental to our, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents, you know? My, uh... I forget what I was going to say. Mm. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. Yeah, um, it's just... Do, do you think... How, what do you think about the idea of Biden saying something like that? You know, this man can't remain in power, as if... There's some sort of legitimacy in his in his decision about who should rule another country, you know. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the United States is so used to being able to like overthrow dictators and put up puppet governments that he could just say that about fucking Russia. It just makes me wonder uh, why he doesn't say something like that about Kim Jong Un in North Korea. You know, it's like. He he called uh, Putin a butcher and a war criminal and said he can't remain in power. But but crickets on Kim Jong Un. Yeah. I uh. Yeah, they. I think that that's always how it is. There's uh, the people that they and I, I wouldn't even say that they have like a particular fondness for Kim Jong Un, but uh, you know, just there are always dictators that they turn a blind eye to for some reason. You know. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, but then there are the ones, and I mean, I guess, I guess you could call Vladimir Putin a dictator. Uh, he basically is at this point, right? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's been in power for what, like twenty three <laughs> years. Um, yeah, I don't know. There was a guy on the news this morning. Um, he was a, I guess he was a defector. He was a uh, uh, during the Cold War era. He was a spy, like a super spy double agent so he was living in the united states but he was really russian kgb special you know forces type motherfucker but he was living here and uh, pretending to be american and whatever he was doing 
Um, but eventually he decided he liked, he liked it better here and didn't want to be a communist anymore. And uh, they were interviewing the guy. And he's like an older guy now. Um, but he said that um, something about the KGB, what did he say? Um, oh, I'm losing my thread for bringing this whole topic up. Uh, so what was it about Putin specifically? I remember hearing that Putin, <laughs> this wasn't him, but I remember hearing recently that Putin wasn't, when he was in the KGB, he was like mid-level. He was never a high-level guy in the KGB. Oh, I remember what now. He said that Putin always <coughs> feels like he's the smartest man in the room, and uh, it's worked, for, he, you know, he's worked for him for so long, he's got this arrogance and this confidence about his self and his abilities, um, that he doesn't take the advice of the people around him. You know, he, he knows better. And if that's true, that's like the Achilles heel for any, any leader. Yeah. To think that you're infallible, right? Just keep making decisions. I mean, one of them is going to be the wrong decision, and you're going to be so cocky that you're not going to think twice about making that wrong decision, and it's going to be the nail in your coffin. Yeah. So there's some optimism, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's definitely on a, had a bit of a good luck streak. Like I said, 23 years. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that, um, that that's an explanation for why people like Bill Gates and, uh, you know, these billionaires want to get involved in planning people's lives because they've been doing a great job mm. for themselves, mm-hmm. you know. So they think that they can just uh, make all the call all the shots for everyone. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think Putin, you know, could be suffering from some of that. He's, you know, like, like I said, been doing a great job for himself so far. For himself. So that's the maniacal arrogance that we keep that we talk about. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be careful with that in your own in your own self, man. Yeah. So nobody's immune to that. Even Putin. <laughs> Not even Putin. <clears throat> uh, I saw an article that said it made the argument that the Matrix movies, that the sequels, ruined the whole franchise. That if they would have stopped at the first one, that they would have had a masterpiece. That it would have been remembered. It would have been one of those, one of the, one of those, you know, top three all time, you know, like you know, just genre bending, just life changing movies. And that the sequels uh, ruined that somehow. What are your thoughts? I don't agree. I mean, I don't think that the sequels are as good. I mean, I'll fully. St- give my stamp of approval on that the sequels are not as good um but the first i mean they say that if you didn't have the other two you'd have this great movie well you still have that great movie you just have two other you know i don't do do you think there's um you know how like before special effects were really good in horror movies, they would show very little of the of the monsters, yeah, and that would make them scarier yeah. because there was more to the imagination. I'm I'm going to use that analogy. Do you think that when they make sequels to a movie like The Matrix, that before they make that number two and number three or number four now, right? Before they do that, the person who's watched the movie has ideas about what it means and where it might go, and trying to explain, you know. In retrospect, trying to explain parts of the movie to themselves and make sense of it, and you build this model in your head of the what if scenarios, mm-hmm. and then they come out with a sequel that shuts down all all of your uh, 
you know, all of your options. Yep. And it kind of ruins the magic uh, because it takes that away from you. It takes a, that the thing about the movie that is unique to you, your experience of the movie has been has been diminished by the fact that they have taken away that that anticipated future of what happens next because yeah. they've told you what happens next, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I definitely think there was some of that going on with uh, Game of Thrones. Back in the day, people had so many theories, so many involved <sighs> yeah. deep theories about what they <laughs> thought was going to happen because George R. R. Martin gives you enough information that you can have these, like, really deep intricate theories because he just like has written this entire history for the you know yeah. that world um so yeah i mean lots of like really cool theories that uh I, honestly i think some of the theories were better than the way the tv show ended i mean that that makes me wonder about actual history especially when you have to go way back yeah how much of it is like that Game of Thrones fan fiction? We're just putting together the the as best we can the most interesting backstories for for the archaeological evidence. Yeah, man. You think? Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the archaeo- archaeological evidence, and some of it's pretty skimpy, man. You know, um, I I always go to like dinosaurs. You know, they find like a little tiny pinky bone of a dinosaur, and somehow they reconstruct an entire dinosaur out of that fucking thing. Yep, there's got to be some creativity in the involved. There's got to be some creativity involved with that, man. I, I'm just skeptical. You know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they could explain it, though. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I'm thinking about that, like, uh, you know, the victor, the victor gets to write the, the history books, I guess. Yeah. Um, so to that, to that alone, you know, there's got to be some, I don't want to say fiction, but there's definitely some, you know, elaboration in in certain ways and not in others that are designed to to make the you know the empire look look good or the emperor to look good or whatever it is uh, or to make the um somebody else look bad i mean yeah. I, that happens just as much in history and the next thing you know you're creating some uh narrative um but it's not just the narrative like we have in a political in a you know a two or four year cycle in the united states it's the narrative for like the last thousand years yeah and we when we we pasted it together with uh, comic strips to make this make up a story that resonates with us. It's fucking weird, man. I wonder how much whatever the main source of information distribution was throughout any like epoch of time. That's a good question. Has an influence on history. Mm, you know what I mean? That's a great question. Like what the media is doing now it's obviously going to have some effect on history as far as the narrative of the things that are happening. Um, you know, maybe some things will get overturned, you know, like 10 years, you find out something crazy and it just changes everything you thought about one thing. Hmm. Um, but you know, what comes to my mind? I'm sorry to interrupt you. You know how, you know how like history was oral Yeah. for the, for the biggest chunk of human history. We didn't have writing. We just told the stories to each other Mm -hmm. and that's where myth comes from and religion and all everything else. They were passed down by word of mouth. The most important things that we had to teach our kids, we passed down by word of mouth, including the histories. And I'm just thinking about a game of telephone or whatever it is where you're whispering into one person's ear and they whisper it into the next person's ear and they whisper it into the next person's ear. By the time you get to the end of the line, the message is completely different. And that's how we were sharing the most important information that we had. had. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's crazy. God. You got 
you have to assume that most, well, I don't even know if I would say most of the time, but sometimes there's a, a kernel of truth in there that gets preserved and, and passed down and, you know, and right. that remains in there all the way. Then some of it, you, you have to assume that the kernel of truth gets, you know, abandoned at some point mm. to make the story better. How do you know which is which? Yeah. How do you find the kernel even if it's there? That's true. They kind of just jump out at you most of the time. Yeah. The, the kernels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. History is strange. Um, all right. So that's that question. Um, all right. So, oh, I, I wanted to ask you this question every week, partly to put pressure on you. Did you read the, any of those Vikings books? No. Did you read more of them? No, I have not. Oh, man. Guys, never let Kyle borrow a book. He <laughs> won't read them. <laughs> I've not been doing a lot of reading recently. So I've been reading, uh, still, I've been reading Modes of Sentience, which I've been doing po- the, my solo episodes about. And there's a lot of stuff that comes up in Modes of Sentience that I find interesting. Um, and I'm particularly interested to see what the what the author, what the rationale for it. But he's talking a lot about um, about pantheism and about panpsychism in the in the book, and he keeps going back to the this idea that panpsychism as an idea has not been accepted in the West because it's an anti-Christian idea, and it's more it's much more like a, it's much more closer linked to the classical pagan religions, nature worshiping pagan religions, and he said he brings up that specific argument several times. I'm not even done with the book yet. And it's, you know, I, I, th- I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that he talks about religion at all, sort of. Um, I, I, but I find it interesting that he that he highlights um, it being kind of anti-Christian. Like I know why he's saying it. He's he's saying it to explain why you never heard of it or why. Uh, nobody you know takes it seriously. It's like, yeah, because for thousands of years, the the basic tenet of, uh, um, you know, well, I don't want to I don't want to get into too much detail about it, because um, I'm hoping I'll be able to, I'll be talking about this probably later this week. Uh, I'm losing my train, man. Anyway, the book the book's been super interesting, and uh, the fact that he that he's bringing up Christianity and paganism while talking about panpsychism has been making me think a lot of a lot of interesting thoughts yeah uh, questions I would like to run by the guy myself um, I don't I'm not so sure that panpsychism is any more uh, in line with paganism as it is with Christianity so I that's something I would like to argue yeah yeah you so you think it's equally it, it works equally with both I think there is a mystical way of understanding Christianity that that would would make that true. Most people would say, uh, most Christians would say, I'm, you know, full of shit if I explain it that way. Yeah. But I've done it. I, I've done it on the podcast. I mean, we, we I did a couple yeah, episodes yeah. on on early Christianity and you know it being mystical. Just the story of Jesus's uh, baptism is is a is a trip story as far is a trip account as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I, uh, John the Baptist, the, the dove, I mean, the, mm. the opening of the sky and the, yeah, yeah, yeah the opening of the sky. Yeah. The, the, the disembodied voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all that That's stuff. Pretty trippy. Yeah. It's pretty trippy, it's pretty man. Trippy. It is pretty trippy. Um, but you know, yeah, it, um, I think, I just wonder 
is the author of this book uh, an atheist? That's a big question I have. Um, like, are you talking about Christianity in a negative light in terms of it doesn't correspond to panpsychism, which he obviously uh, b- believes to a certain degree because this is what he's writing about, right? Are you know? Are you saying that? Does it have some reflection of your personal feelings? That's what I want to know. Gotcha. You know, I guess I'm. I guess I'm. Uh, just the last couple of years with the media and with world events have made me so jaded, man, that those are the kind of thoughts that come in my head that, uh, you know, I can't just take, I just can't, you know, take, take it for its surface value. I have to look deeper into it and ask myself, is he, is he bringing this up because he has some chip on his shoulder against Christianity? Yeah. And then I have to ask myself, why do I feel inclined to defend it? Because I do. Just, uh, I mean, you were raised Christian. That would be my assumption. You know, you just have that uh, that hang up. It's funny because I I never had a, a huge interest in Christianity. Like yeah. I was always interested in all the other religions. You know, I could I could really care less about the religion I was born into. And now I find myself like like if somebody <laughs> if somebody were to insult my best friend, it's like yeah, I'm gonna feel some desire to defend you know, my best friend. Um, it's like that. Got it. It's like an instinctual, uh, desire to defend Christianity. I don't know where that comes from, man. You're, it's like, uh, you're like a Templar knight. (laughs) You're a defender of the faith. I think I appreciate it more now. I appreciate it more after having a mystic experience. That's such a weird thing because somebody like your mom, I would guess would tell me that, uh, what you what you experience in a mystic experience isn't genuine experience of God. I don't know. She might surprise you on that. Uh, I think she's open to that idea, maybe. Um, but I don't know how like well developed she. You know, she's put that into thought. You know, uh, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say. Like the implications of that. Yeah, I'd like to ask her about it because. Because it's like this, if, if you would entertain the idea that, let's say, consuming psychedelics and having a mystic vision of angelic beings, that that might be a legitimate bridge between this world and the next, some, something like that. You might be getting a glimpse of uh, uh, something divine that, that's legitimate uh, versus somebody who's like working themselves up into a religious frenzy and doing occult magic in the, in the forest and sees a vision. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I imagine your mom is going to say option two is seeing the devil. Option one, maybe is seeing God, right? It's like, what? I just wonder how you would reconcile those two things. I, when you say seeing the devil and seeing God, like, I just wonder, it, like, at first my mind was saying, I think that there's some kind of, like, continuum, you know, that, like, the the negative and the positive it's like a circle it's all just one mm. you know yeah um you mean god and the devil well yeah like what whatever however you know like i said good evil god devil yeah. Um, yeah i actually i actually get down with that go ahead um but then another part of me thinks that uh i don't know i even if it is the same there's definitely different experiences you know um and that's true within the psychedelic experience, you know, like Absolutely. some of it's, some of it is 
like you're seeing God and some of it is like you're seeing the devil. Did you know, let me just plug this real quick. Did you know that there's a classic name for a bad trip? What's that? That goes back to Latin. Yeah. Mysterium Tremendum. That's what they call bad trip. When you experience the supernatural and and you quake in fear... It's the Mysterium Tremendum. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. It's fucking cool. What, what, what were the Romans tripping on? Um, mushrooms? For sure they had mushrooms um, because that, that goes back to the Middle East. And, of course, the Romans had occupied territory there. True. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we don't really know what, what like I said, what was in the Kaikion, but it's, uh, it's been suggested that it was ergot, which is LSD, so perhaps they had that. Um, there were others. I, I don't know them all. It's been a while. We did episodes on it. I did episode uh, maybe one or two. It goes way back, though. Um, yeah, man. I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know what the Romans are tripping on. Oh, uh, boy. I don't know, man. But while we're on this um, hippy-dippy topic of God, I want to ask you a question. So this book I've been reading, <laughs> we've, we've been talking about, uh, the Modes of Sentience is called, uh, introduced me to this guy named Alfred North Whitehead, who I think I brought up to you before, maybe last week. Yep. And Alfred North Whitehead, he is a super, super interesting guy. He has this he has this philosophy. It's called process philosophy. The way he looks at philosophy is called process philosophy. And I don't want to over-explain it because I'm going to talk about it more. But it's the it's the idea of understanding God, not as an entity or a being but as a process. And I wonder what you think of that just conceptually because, because there's a huge difference. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Go ahead. If you, if you, no, no, go ahead. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Well, it's like, you know, every religion thinks about God as a being of some kind. Um, even the people that think of God as the universe or the cosmos, pantheists, even those people um, think about that as a great being. You know, and then maybe there's everything else exists within that being, but there's one great being, um, or you know, like Zeus on a cloud or something. He's a being. Uh, Alfred North Whitehead doesn't. He doesn't buy into that. He thinks of God as a process, and that would be closer to the people that that would say, um, if you figure out all of the facts of physics, if you figure out everything there is to know, if you have a complete theory of physics, whatever that processes that you've explained mathematically that's god so it's something more like that uh it's like god isn't embodied in any way it is a pattern that it's even hard to explain It's it's a process it's like um for some reason it makes me think of um what's the guy's name scott adams the yeah. probability yeah, um, yeah just yeah. like uh yes you know like there's just like endless possibility and things are just happening you know um i don't know so i get this image that comes in my head and i, th- I don't think it's a great analogy but i'm just going to use it because it just keeps popping in my head it's like i don't understand computers well so you're going to understand that when i give you this analogy okay. <laughs> it's like it's like you got a computer and all it's it's filled with all this code. Sure. But it's nothing until you plug it in and you run it. You have to run the code. And so I imagine, this is what I imagine. I, I imagine a reel of tape, right? 
and covered in ones and zeros. And this light, like a laser, just follows the tape and reads all the ones and zeros, right? It's that laser that's reading the ones and zeros. That's the ghost in the machine. That's what's, that's what's, that's the process. So that's what, that's the image that comes to mind when I think about the process. Like the, in this case, the ones and zeros are the, you know, the uh, um, scaffolding for being, like, you know, the, whatever the universe is built on. But this, but this running of the code, it reminds me also of the book of Genesis in the beginning when, when God said that, uh, when it said that the spirit of God was on the surface of the waters, moved moved on the surface of the waters. That's like this reading the code, you know, image that comes in my head. Okay. That's the process. It's like until the code is read, it's nothing. It has to be read to become something, and that's the cosmos. The reading of the tape is God. The reading of the tape. Not the tape, the reading of the tape, the process. Got it. I don't know how to make it clear, man. It's really muddy, but that's the best I can do. Yeah. What do you uh, think of that? I think that on some level that makes it seem like in, you know, here that there are things that are happening and we're observing it so it's actually happening. But then you go out to like, you know, the middle of space where there's nothing and there's nothing happening. Mm -hmm. So, and there's no one to experience it and there's nothing happening, you know? So it makes me wonder is like, If you put somebody in the middle of space, like all of a sudden it is happening because it's being observed, even though there's still like really nothing. Yeah, I guess you are happening there. So this go, this is an interesting question. This it's a, it's a hippy dippy conversation, but it goes back to something we've talked about before. Um, that in those empty spots of space, it's not empty. Yeah, yeah. There are experiences happening there. There are you know electrons popping into existence, bumping into other things. But going back to Scott Adams, his explanation about probability, going back to that book, God's Debris, he would say that there's more happening here because there's more things here. There's more probability of, of bumping into yeah. things and having experiences. Out there, there are fewer things. So there's still experience. There's just less experience. That makes me think of like that... Uh modes of sentience you know that there is if you buy into that that there is not maybe not uh, one thing you said well that he said uh is he called consciousness the crown of sentience yeah i like that a lot yes that's good um, <laughs> i but if you buy into that then there's you know sentience out there if those electrons are popping into existence then there's like you know Exactly. That's something. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you, man. So if you buy into yeah, that. If yeah, you, if you buy into that. Yeah. A lot of people don't. I, I do, man. You know what's, what's weird is like I would never go allow myself to buy into anything so hippy-dippy and unprovable as any of this speculation yeah. my entire life. My entire life. Uh, but then I had the mystic experience and it validated all of this stuff. And it's like I realize that those mystic experiences aren't recordable. They're not scientifically verifiable. They're mysterious even to me. Even more mysterious than my waking life is, and it's a fucking mystery. It's baffling. Um, even so, things that I felt in that experience, I believe, are true unquestionably. And I feel so strongly about them, like more strongly than almost anything else. It's very strange. And... When I hear something crazy, 
that ordinarily I would say, but if it resonates with those things that I know are true, then I, I find myself in this weird place yeah. where I'm like, I want to say fuck off, but I can't, you know, uh, that's actually part of what, um, part of what, uh, why I was echoing some of your interest in pagan religion. Yeah. Because I wonder if there, if there isn't s- stuff there that's valuable that I've brushed off. And the same thing about like, the same thing about lots of stuff. Like yeah. the occult, like like extrasensory perception, like um, just as I just wonder how much shit I've written off prematurely. Yeah, yeah. With the pagan stuff, it's uh, you just we would have so much more. You know, we were talking earlier about um, those. Well, all cultures being uh, oral. You know, as far as traditions go, mm-hmm. for a long time, but that those Germanic people, you know, even after like rubbing right up against Rome, a lot of them still remained that way. Yep. So the, we would just have so much more if they wrote stuff down. Yeah, can you imagine? You know what? One of the, apparently, I don't. You know, I never talked to one of them, but um, they. I've heard that one of the main reasons for them not doing it is that writing is bad for your memory. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Yep. Golly, man. Hey, going back to this I, this God is process thing before we get rid of that entirely. Sure. I, I realize that it's it's sort of mind bendy because it's very different from how we're used to thinking about uh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think someone like your mom would say about that idea? I don't know. We have to, we're going to have to have her on, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. What were you going to say? <laughs> I just wonder because she's like, you know, because she's conservative, she's Christian, she's got a certain, uh, you know, she's got a certain pattern in her mind about what God is and. That's a very different way of looking at God. And I just wonder how compatible it would be with, for someone like your mom, you know, how compatible it would be for her other beliefs, for, you know, Jesus, for instance. Like, how compatible is it? I, I'm curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how compatible it is, but I, I see ways for it to be compatible, you know. Um, but just how somebody's going to interpret that, you know, you give two, two people the same passage of scripture and they'll interpret it completely differently it's true so yeah i I like the idea i think that uh, the idea of process seems simpler than the idea of an entity or a being yeah uh and so we're i guess we're just used to like breaking things down into simpler and simpler components and that's the sort of scientific way of looking at things and we're all that way in the modern world we're all that way so something about that it seems easier to explain a process than the existence of a supernatural being. But it's still such like a, even though it seems easier, it's still, we haven't explained it. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way. It seems easier to dis, to explain a supernatural process than to explain a supernatural being. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. It just does. I don't know. For me, I don't know. <sighs> Interesting. I do like it, and also, I, I, when I was saying that it resonates with my uh, mystic intuition, that's something that I came to on, all on my own. God is process. I described it as the being generator, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the whole explanation again. I've done it many times on the podcast, but I had a mystic experience. I had a I had a, a vision of a being generator, and it was like a machine that cranks out material reality. Yeah. That to me, and what I'm describing is a process, and I and I. Again, I just think it's so strange to have encountered somebody who in the 18 and late 1800s was saying that same that same thing. It's like Jesus. All right, <clears throat> what else you got, Kyle? Um, just you know more more scary stuff I, that I have written down. 
uh, kind of goes back to when we were talking about Russia. You seen the thing uh, where pre- President Biden's talking about there being food shortages? Yeah, yeah. People are fucking freaking out, man. Yeah, you like see, it's gonna be. You remember when COVID happened and you know the the grocery stores were completely picked over. There was no goddamn toilet paper anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's well, so okay, so I pretty much avoid that type of news getting too deep into it because I don't, I don't want to hear that sort of level of bad news yeah. but what I understood was that it, the food shortage was attributable to wheat because the Ukraine grows a lot of wheat yeah so if that's if that's what we're talking about um, listen I'm perfectly happy with a keto lifestyle uh, wheat shortage isn't going to affect me however do they use some of that to feed the animals yeah. is that going to affect the price of meat you know like I yeah. don't know it's inter- I mean, it's interesting in a dark way. Yeah, I, t- I mean, I, I don't read up on a lot of it either. I don't have, like, a whole lot of facts or info. But uh, I just uh, hearing the president of the United States, who is a dipshit, say that there's going to be food shortages, that's fucking scary, man. You it know? is scary. It's uh, not good. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like... Uh, The thing with COVID happened, and I feel like that was kind of bullshit. You know, we've talked about that before. I think it was a complete overreaction. We did so much damage to the economy and to people um, for no, no, just no reason. Absolutely. Uh, And now we have this thing that comes right on the heels of it, which is potential war. and, And I just don't think that everything that we're doing with the you know the printing of the money i I don't i think that we're cooking up a a bad disaster Mm. you know we got potential for some bad shit to go down and i just hope that on some level i think it needs to go down you know like i think um there's an argument there there we've been doing things this way and if we I mean, the longer we do it, I feel like when it the crash comes, it's just going to be worse and worse. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe there's some way around it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an economist. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think some I, people seem to think there is. You know that we just keep doing it. Uh, you know, we just keep printing more money. Yeah. I don't know though. No, I don't know either. Uh, did you hear? Did you hear that the federal government is exploring uh, a, f- a government cryptocurrency? Oh really? Yeah. Not not a fan. Yeah, I, I, that's like one of the most terrifying things I can possibly imagine. If the United States government decides that they that that cryptocurrency is a threat to um, to fiat currency, and that we have to have our own cryptocurrency to compete with private currency, I mean that is a crazy notion. Um, but if their answer to that is to make a a um, an electronic currency that is completely owned and operated by the federal government nah. uh, I mean you might as well you might as well sign the death certificate for the United States of America man it's it's disturbing times man I mean Biden is talking about the new world order like he said he said said it yeah he did say it he did I mean you know I think that uh he's a, a stumbling bumbling old man and says stupid shit uh which I, I think was kind of true about Trump too you know he would yeah, just like get yeah. up there and ramble and say just dumb shit you know <laughs> yeah 
And it's like he would say stuff that I would agree with. I'd be like, yeah. And then he'd say something. I'd be like, oh, uh, come on, man. No. <laughs> uh, but Biden, you know, I, I, I don't think that he's like, you know, winking, you know, like the, the New World Order. But sometimes they accidentally speak their intentions out loud. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I... I think that there could be some of that going on, just like jockeying for because I don't know. It's not looking good for America for to continue being the world power right now. I mean, things are not going great. Who wants that job, man? Oh, I, yeah, no, I, think, <laughs> I don't want that job. Fuck that. Uh, Luckily, I don't really feel like I have to do a whole lot to 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 sustain it. You know. Well, <clears throat> I've got a, I've got a more promising news story I can share with you. Oh, yeah, some pretty crazy shit I just read about last night. Coming, coming to us from South Korea. Listen to this. Good news from South Korea. Listen to this. It's um, a new segment on the Two Tongues podcast. I'm going to give my first attempt at pronouncing a Korean word. Go to John. No. Um, Myung, Myungji University in Korea discovered. Check this out. Check this out. Roundworms. You know what roundworms are? I don't. They're like a gut parasite. Roundworms. Okay. Roundworms are seemingly attracted to lung cancer. Ooh. So they've discovered that if they put these roundworms in the vicinity of lung cancer, that it will, it seems to be following an odor trail of some kind, or I don't know. That's how they were describing in the article, that these roundworms will find their way to the cancer. they're They're attracted to it. So these... Scientists in South Korea <laughs> equipped the roundworms with some sort of microchip, some sort of microchip. So, what? so the idea is, the, the, if if <laughs> the idea is they'll infect you with these roundworms, the roundworms will burrow their way to the cancer, and the chip that's in the roundworms then can identify exactly where the cancer is, and maybe even deliver medicine. Directly to the cancer, like a like a like a dog sniffing out uh, a bomb or something. Like these roundworms are just going to be able to sniff it out in our body, and then we can just kill the roundworms. However, we kill the roundworms. I don't know. What do you think of that? It's disgusting, <laughs> dude. Like I mean, it's cool, but then I just have this image of like it's lung cancer. So I'm sorry, worms crawling around mm-hmm. in your lungs, mm-hmm. man. It's they fucking dis- disgusting. They described it as a worm on a chip. It's fucking gross, dude. I mean, if it works and I have lung cancer, I want it. Dude, that's like some that's like some Rick and Morty level shit. That is crazy. That's like something you would see on a cartoon of Rick and Morty where they shrink down to the size of uh of uh, roundworms and they and they like equip them with you know with like sophisticated sci-fi weapons and armor and then they go to battle with a cancer inside someone's body that's an episode of Rick and Morty I think I never watched Rick and Morty really you should yeah I've, I keep hearing that I've seen a few episodes it, that were funny but but I know what you mean yeah after the after the first season because Rick burps way too much in the first season after the first season it's it's terrific even the first season's terrific getting the old belch laugh yeah, yeah. they were going for alright alright so that's one on a um on a less optimistic note, or a more optimistic note, I don't know. Did you see the articles about uh, the male birth control pill that they're getting close to uh, bringing to market? No, I don't like that. Let's discuss. <laughs> I'm just going off gut gut feeling. I don't like it. Mm. I, I, 
I don't know how it works. And yeah. I, ha- I have some notes, and we can talk about this, but I don't, I'm just trying to imagine if birth control didn't exist at all, and we had an option like we do today for a woman, and an option apparently like we're getting close to having for a man, and we're scientists, and we're trying to dis- decide which approach is less dangerous to the people and to the children that they're going to have in the future. Yeah. This female version of birth control or the male version of birth control. What do you think? Which is more dangerous? Um, are we talking about like biologically dangerous well, or thing is, culturally like, dangerous? What, or I'm thinking more biologically. But like, what questions do you ask, man? So this is what. So, as far as I know, the female birth control is hormonal. Like, yeah. It, in, it, they just give you hormones somehow that whatever does whatever it does interferes with the regular cycle and whatever magic happens and you don't get pregnant the one for the men when they were doing the research originally it was the same strategy like how do we mess with the testosterone to make these guys jizz empty I don't know how, however right however they however they went about it but they decided for some reason or another that wasn't going to work yeah. so they, th- what they're doing now is a non-hormonal birth control pill and what it does is it binds with some protein that's important in formation of sperm. Spermatozoa. So it just interferes <laughs> with the formation of sperm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> to none of it, man. Like, uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the Two Tongues podcast, but I am firmly anti-birth control, period. Um, I don't think women should be taking it. I don't think it's good for you to be fucking with your hormones like that. If you don't want to have a baby, pull out, wear a condom, be responsible. And if you have a baby, I mean, worse things have had worse things happen to people than having babies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I just don't. I, I don't think it's a good idea. I really Listen, don't. I agree. I see where you're coming from. I definitely don't think messing with a woman's hormones is a good idea. Yeah. I, I think long term for her health, it can't be good. Yeah. It doesn't happen in nature that way. You're fucking around with a system that's designed to work in a certain way. It doesn't sound like a good plan. I think it's it's can't possibly be good for a woman to do that. Um, the same thing is true if you're going to put some chemical in my body that binds to my. proteins that make sperm now i have a whole bunch of like you know malformed sperm or whatever i I got a whole other set of problems of unknowns that i don't i don't know what kind of you know issues are going to come from that what kind of long-term consequences it doesn't sound good to me at all yeah um but on the other side i would i definitely support the idea of people if you have a way to control having babies that's foolproof I, I want to be able to take advantage of that. <laughs> you know, I want to be able yeah. to control that. Um, so I guess it's a risk-reward thing, and I, I don't think we think about that carefully enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how I feel. I think if you want to do it, I'm not going to stop you. I, I just don't think that... I, but basically, I just don't think that you should. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all it boils down to. I don't uh, think it's a good idea. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah. Um, just, uh, and I don't want to do it for sure. You know, like, I don't want to take that, that protein. No, thanks. <laughs> like, you, the, you, you sounded like super skeptical when you were describing it. It's, uh, I mean, it makes me think of the vax, man. Yeah. Like you're altering, uh, you're putting protein spikes and, you know, giving people blood clots and shit. Yeah. It's, 
It's crazy. I think I think unintended consequences is the most important and interesting phrase of of history. Yeah. Period. Unintended consequences. Anytime anything does anything, sometimes it does what you want it to do. Not always, but it will always do things you didn't expect it to. You know, always, man. Yep. Blowback. And that's not just human decisions. It's like everything. It's like biological evolution, ecological changes. Like, you know, a riverbed dries up and it has a thousand other consequences that you never could have expected. You know, it's like unintended consequences. The butterfly effect. Mm. All right. You remember that movie? I do remember that movie. Fucking yeah, Ashton Kutcher, dude. I think I, I think I like that movie. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. I liked it back then. I think looking, I, I bet you it's like cornier than I remember it being. You know, if you watch it, oh, I, I bet sure. you're yeah. like, oh god. Yeah. Did you see that commercial? I saw it two times yesterday or the day before. I don't uh, ever watch TV with Mila Kunis and Demi Moore. Nah. So, so the commercial is uh, um, like an award being given. And I think it's like to like the most famous alumni of a, of a high school, and okay. Demi Moore and Mila Kunis both walk up to the uh, podium, because it turns out they went to the same high school, Demi Moore and, and, and uh, Mila Kunis. And when they get up there, Mila Kunis says, uh, "Oh, you know, we have a lot in common," because they both married Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah she, she went to high school in the United States. Yeah, in I, I know she was born over in, in Ukraine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess one time they were doing like some kind of international press tour for a movie and someone was talking shit about Ashton Kutcher in Russian and she speaks Russian so she called him out about it. Nice. That's pretty uh, I you know I do uh German on Duolingo uh and you know I I'm all right like you know I I've I, if I went to Germany I would be able to say some things to people you know <laughs> uh, it makes me think of um, Eddie Izzard. You know the thing, the weird things you learn to say when you're learning a language. He says, "Le chat is un la table." The cat is under the table. Yeah. Um, what? Wait a minute. Why was I talking about that though? Languages. Mm. I, Eddie Izzard threw me off. I mean, I'm happy to talk about as Eddie Izzard, who's like, in my opinion, an underrated stand-up. But oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I got distracted because I. Um I, I was thinking about playing a, a commercial. I wonder if you've seen it. And while you were talking, and I was oh. looking it up, but it's the Jeremy's Razors commercial. Did you see that? No, but I do. I, I, basically, what I was saying is, oh, I, I want to catch. I would love to like catch somebody talking about me in another language and be just like be like, no, I speak that language. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would yeah, be yeah. great. You know what it reminds me of is uh, the Thirteenth Warrior. I don't remember. I don't think I ever saw that movie. It's Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Um, I don't remember... If I did, it was a long time ago. I don't remember anything else about that movie, but I remember, I think... I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, so shout out to Matthew. Let me know what, what I've done wrong here. Um, I'm pretty sure he's in a prison in like the Middle East, and he's a soldier from Europe, and he doesn't yeah. speak the language. And it's like a montage of him being in that prison, and slowly he learns it. Oh. And they don't know he understands them. Oh, yeah, that's cool. That is cool. I'm gonna have to watch that movie. It, I think it's like Viking shit, isn't it? Isn't he like a Norse type person? I thought it, I thought maybe he was a crusader, but maybe. but I don't know. Um, all right, back to Jeremy's razors. Um, th- this story is is news to you. 
No, I don't know what Jeremy's Razors are. So Jeremy's Jeremy's Razors is a company that formed to compete with Harry's Razors, the Harry's uh, brand. It's yeah. It's getting very popular. They're named after the Pearl Jam song? <laughs> no? Okay. No. No. So anyway, um, because Harry's said some political stuff that was very left-leaning progressive. Oh, of course and, they did. And so somebody decided they could capitalize on Harry's... Uh, uh, intentionally like um marginalizing half of the population by calling them out on it in a really hilarious way yeah so i wondered if you wanted to hear that commercial yeah of course let's hear it it's kind of a long commercial but hold on let me me get it queued up here talk amongst yourselves hello how are you um Amongst myself. Okay. I have to start answering myself here. All right. Let me just check the Bluetooth. I wasn't prepared. This is sort of an impromptu situation. I am connected. Okay. You are connected. All right. Here we go. You're always connected. Here we go. What do you talk about all the time? You're always connected. Let's just see the video. Remember when there were two genders and only one and a half of them had to shave their mustaches? Oh, hi. I'm Jeremy Boring, CEO and God Jeremy King of The Boring. Daily Wire. Harry's razors used to advertise on our shows. They're a great product, and we were happy to do it. That's before some peon who works for me went and said that boys are boys and girls are girls. And that was just too much for Harry's. They condemned our views. Views held by millions of Americans and virtually every human who's walked the planet until about 15 minutes ago as inexcusable. And they dropped their ads from our network because of what they called values misalignment. You're damn right our values are misaligned. And it's not just Harry's either. Gillette razors used to be the best a man could get. Then they decided that men are too toxic. Unless you're the kind of man who teaches his daughter to shave her beard. If that makes sense to you, keep buying Gillette. But if you've had enough of the woke bullshit, and you're tired of paying companies like Harry's and Gillette to hate you. Ah! Elon Musk, flamethrowers. That's great. Then buy my new razor instead. Behold, Jeremy's razors. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're fabulous. But Jeremy, you say, you're a spelt silver fox with a salt and pepper beard that's the envy of lesser men. <laughs> You're damn right I am. And I want to be clear that shaving with a Jeremy's razor won't actually make you look more like yes, me. Yes, you're giving me fierce. You're giving me power. Could make you look more like this guy, though. <laughs> and that's the most homoerotic moment you'll ever get from a Jeremy's razor commercial. <laughs> What kind of man shaves with a Jeremy's going. razor? Does keep I don't know. How about cowboys? Firefighters? Those guys that shot Osama bin Laden? I mean, no, none of those guys have ever even heard of a Jeremy's razor, but, but imagine how much more manly they'd be if they had. Just keeps going. Right now, 
you're probably wondering if this whole thing is a joke. Sure it is. That doesn't mean it isn't real, or that it won't be the best shave of your life. Harry's Razors doesn't want your business. I do. They seem to hate you, and I, well, I can't say that I love you, but I don't mean you any specific harm. Our country's in trouble. Conservatives are being canceled by Hollywood, the media, universities, and now Harry's Razors. Stop giving your money to woke corporations who don't think you deserve their product. Give it to me instead. Head over to IHateHarrys.com and pre-order your Founders <laughs> Series Razor and Shaving Cream Set today. Head over to IHateHarrys.com. That's funny as hell. I, I didn't know when it's when you said Jeremy's Razors, I didn't know it was Jeremy Boring. Do you know Jeremy, Jeremy Boring? No. No? Uh, he is the... Like, I don't know, executive producer of The Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's oh, organization. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so that's what he's from. And I, I, it, it makes sense to me that that's who it is because <laughs> they, they are, you know, ever the opportunists for, like, money. And, um, you know, when they see an opportunity that they can, like, sell something, they're fucking on it, you know? Um, and they're also, like, kind of culture vulture you know? Yeah. Like, uh so, so I, I, I like the Daily Wire and I, I you know, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I like some of the stuff that the Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro and those guys say. Um, I particularly like a guy named Michael Knowles. Yeah, you should. I mean, if you ever get the urge to listen to some political shit, go on YouTube and look up Michael, Michael Knowles. Knowles. He's good. Yeah. Uh, also, a guy named Matt Walsh. Um, very, you know, they're they're all right. They say they say some good shit, but uh, I just always verge off in. They're, they're like neocons, you know, like they want to police the world. They want our military to be strong and all over the world. Yeah, I, I don't I don't um, recoil from like Ben Shapiro style politics at all. Yeah, uh, I feel like Ben Shapiro is um, more conservative than me. But he's—I feel like he's kindred spirit. I, I do not—I do not feel like weird about Ben, Sh- ben Shapiro. Even his weirdisms, even his uh, his um, like war hawkingness—that's my dad. That's my yeah. fucking dad. I grew up with that. It's not weird to me. Yeah, you know? it's not weird. I just don't want it. You know, like I would be—I uh, I understand it, where I don't understand the far left uh, isms. I don't have sympathy for yeah, them. No, I mean I'm with you on that. I—I I, I see what you're saying. Uh, but I don't know. I am like anti-war is one of my bigger issues, so I really do have a problem with that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but I do like I did. I grew up my life. You know, when we invaded Iraq for what the fuck they did. I that had to do with nine eleven. I have no fucking idea. But I was behind. I was like, yeah, this Saddam's a bad guy. Let's we- get in there. Weapons of mass destruction. So yeah, I definitely can sympathize with it uh, more than I can sympathize with. I don't know. Just pick your fucking crazy thing that the, the people on the left are bitching about nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting because we've got we're starting to have real problems, you know, with inflation, with the supply chain, and with Russia and Ukraine. We're starting to have real problems, and that that is an interesting thing that happens with the liberals because their problems are they mostly focus on social problems, and those are peacetime problems. Those are problems that you have when you don't have real problems you know like 
I, I, I'm reluctant to give any examples because <laughs> I try to be politically correct for no reason. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean. Uh, whether we're talking about you know gay and lesbian rights or whether we're talking about the trans issue in one form or another, yeah. uh, it's like, yeah, those are peacetime problems when we don't have real shit to worry about. Now we have real shit to worry about. So how is the left going to respond? That's what, that's what I'm curious about. I have a feeling not in the way that you would think would be helpful. <laughs> I have, I mean, but I mean, honestly, I really don't think that the right is any better. Uh, I think that they kind of, they kind of, you know, fan the flames of the fire, you know, that yeah. they're outraged, you know, it's like getting trolled. They're like getting trolled and they don't even know it a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. They get trolled, <laughs> they get trolled by the left a lot of the times, you know? Yeah. It's like, come here, boy, come, <laughs> yeah. on. come over here, come this like direction. A lot of talking about like trans stuff i mean i just like on some level man i just don't fucking care you know like i'm i think it's fucked up that this person won like the ncaa champion it's a dude you know very fucked up uh i mean i'm not for it you know like i don't think that that's good but also at the same time like you said we've got bigger things i don't fucking care it's swimming can you imagine being in a situation as a, like a radical feminist where over the past 20, 30 years you've been fighting to, to feel like, you know, women had a, a quality at a level that, you know, is, is expected of just human decency, just a, a level of equality with, with men. And then you keep going further and further and further left until something like this happens where Leah Thomas takes away a gold medal from a, from a woman and you are in this position where you have to ask yourself, are you clapping? Are you cheering? Or should you be protesting, you know? And nobody's choosing to protest, not from the left. It's a strange thing. It's like you want to support women and you've just taken the highest the accomplishment in in female sports and given it to a man and you're supposed to be okay with that because you've been publicly lefter and lefter and lefter now you're too left to you're too, you're too far down the slippery slope to ever crawl your way back it's a strange strange thing man well one thing uh, i tweeted earlier today and you liked it uh that i don't know why i stand with jk rowling is is trending but i do um whatever it is i have a suspicion that it goes back to that type of a thing because yeah, i know that I think it does jk yeah. is very like she's a feminist you know but she's an actual feminist in that she has a problem with that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, people have been giving her shit about that ever since it came out. Um, so that just made me think of that. This in the, in the, I still don't know why that's trending, by the way. I think I, think, I think I don't remember the details, but I do think it has something to do with that, the transgender yeah. issue. She's getting a lot of shit, a lot of heat for that. And I have, I just, I really wonder, man, there's so much hypocrisy now. Nobody just, nobody seems to even notice it anymore. Yeah. All right, I got another question for you. What's up? I was thinking about this the other day, and I wonder what you think think about this. Um, It's about the, the legacy that you leave. Yeah. Do you think that's important in general, leaving the legacy, so that when you're dead and gone, there's something that survives you had something to do with? I don't know. I, I think it's maybe it's important if it's important to you. Um, but 
I think if you okay, so I think if you're going to leave a legacy, you should probably leave a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what does good mean though? Does good mean like moral or just or whatever, or does good mean that like people remember you? See, it's your legacy. I guess you have to decide that. Yeah. Uh, what good is? But I. But you asked the question just just now. You said I think it's important if it's important to you. That's my question to you. Is it important to you to leave a legacy? I would like to, yeah. I mean, so I would say yes. Otherwise... When you, were, when you were younger, did you have an idea of what that legacy might be? Or what you wanted it to be? When I was a... When I, the, the first thing I remember wanting to be is a firefighter and a preacher. <laughs> so, yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Firefighter, I, preacher. Saturdays at 6 on the WB. I've also always felt, you know, you hear, like, I've heard Rogan say this a bunch that uh, he just, like, he's glad that comedy worked out for him because he just, like, doesn't feel, like I was talking about with my job early, I'm never going to be like that rah-rah so it would be nice if I could find something that, you know, I was like that about that could also, like, mm. help to leave a legacy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, I just uh, – it's hard to find that. Yeah, so you find your rah-rah, then you make it your legacy. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you have something in mind now about what your legacy might be? Um, I mean, I've got, like, some of the same ideas that I've always had, um, you know – the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe we're gonna take off yeah this is uh this is true yeah yeah um yeah man i so i'm thinking about that myself like um when i was a kid uh, i always thought that i would have a son and then my son would be that legacy um and then i had two daughters and then i had a vasectomy so that idea is gone so I, then i ch- it changed the way i th- think about that then i then i started thinking you know how it's sort of silly and arbitrary the name you know so it doesn't really matter that i don't have a son i have daughters that's that's just you know it's the same 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 it's just not going to be my name it's still going to be my dna and then i'm like wow how how important is that for me really like that doesn't doesn't really so abstract it doesn't mean anything to me that my dna continues um but it does bother me that one day i might be dead and gone and after the people that are still alive who knew me are gone uh, that I am permanently erased it's like the, the experience of my life meant you know meant nothing so there's like that fear um, that's kind of the motivation behind me saying that it matters if it matters to you because like it, I think even to somebody that it matters to in the grand scheme of things I, I don't know that it does matter and I, like I, I think that that sounds like, that sounds very nihilistic and depressing. You know, nothing fucking matters. But that's not really how I feel about it. Um, I used to feel that way. Like, I used to think, oh, nothing that we do is... It's all pointless, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I, it's almost like I still do kind of believe that, but it doesn't have the same negative connotation, you know? Yeah. I don't think that anything that, you know, like... I don't know, pick somebody who's, like, really had an influence on the world today. We'll go with Barack Obama. Yeah. You know? Uh, he, 
he's left a, a huge legacy for the but like a hundred years from now i mean he'll still probably be famous i guess but maybe not you know like depending on how things go maybe people won't know who the fuck barack obama was you know whose legacies i think matter the most are the are the you know, there's like specific examples that aren't coming to my mind but it's like a it's like a mathematician if that figured out some crazy um formula Einstein that didn't have any applications and then they died and then 300 years later a scientist picked that up and it was the solution that they've been that they've been looking for their whole life it's like something that needed to be kept alive until it could be used to pull the human race forward you know it's like that's that's this image I have in my head when when I was in college I I thought I was gonna my legacy was gonna be uh a book. I was going to write a book. It was going to be the history of human spirituality. It was going to be a. It was going to be a history of the idea of God, and it was going to be some philosophical masterwork. That was that was the lofty goal I had set for myself. I was going to have this unique view, this unique angle, and I was going to write this book, and it was going to be one of those books like the guys that I had been reading at the time that that had made a legacy for themselves in the same way, like George Frazier or. Um, you know Andrew Lang or Max Mueller, all these uh, these these turn of the century anthropologists that I was reading at the time, that that are like legendary figures because they were the first people in the field to lay it out. You know, and and I thought I was going to contribute to, you know, the human human progress that way. Yeah. And it seems a little bit laughable now. You know, it seems you know it's one of those things like. I realize, like, you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, and I was young and naive, and that plays a part in it, but it's also kind of arrogant. <laughs> it's also kind of <laughs> arrogant, man. Um, I guess. I don't know. I don't see it as arrogant. I see it as, you know, eager. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe arrogant. It's an interesting characteristic. The, the arrogance of youth. Of youth, yeah. 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 Is it, I don't know if you'd call it arrogance or not, but it's definitely something like it. Hubris? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. What about you? Like, you got any ideas for what it's gonna be the legacy aside from the uh, the genetics? Well, I've been thinking about the podcast myself because I've been thinking like, like when I'm when I'm uh, an old man or when I'm dead and gone, let's say that uh, that my kids, maybe even my grandkids, hopefully when they're adults, can can listen to this and hear you know what their granddad thought about some crazy some crazy stuff. You wanna start making some kids content? So we can, like, the grandkids can listen in? Oh, not anytime soon. No, okay. Although I... Jocko wrote a kid's book, you know? That's interesting. You bring that up. Because when I was younger, I thought one of the things that might be cool to do is to take these uh, ancient myths that are really important, but people don't... They're not taught anymore, and put them in, uh, like, the form of children's stories. So it's like you can go and you can get a kid's Bible, you know, and you can read... uh, biblical stories to kids in, in like a Dr. Susie kind of way and they, that exists and they, they're starting to exist now where you can go and do it for like Viking mythology or or whatever but what about Gilgamesh what about like the very first mystic the Enuma Elish what about those I mean there, there's ways in which you could this epic of Gilgamesh could be, is an awesome story yeah. and you could you could tame that down and make it a kid's story and it would be awesome so Maybe maybe that's you know maybe that's something I'll do in the future. I don't know. That'd be cool. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be cool as hell, man. That's an idea. But I do like the idea of like 
like my daughter, like, like let's say once I'm dead and gone and she's an adult and she's like, you know, I, I wish I could ask my dad a question or, um, I wonder what he would have thought of this or, you know, I just want to hear his voice. She can go back and listen to this. Oh yeah. Dude. You know, I've got a voicemail from my grandma of, uh, her singing happy birthday to me. Aww. I feel bad that I didn't answer the fucking call, but, um, at least I have the voicemail. Yeah. You know? That's sweet, man. Yeah. I got a bunch of voicemails like that from, uh, my mom and, uh, and, uh, and Jessica's aunt. For, this, for the same reason, like just you just maybe you'll want them one day, you know. Yeah, I'm not one of these people who, and to be honest, I have like a little bit of um, irritation towards them. One of these people who is constantly taking pictures of vid- pictures and videos, like a lot of the times, we'll be honest, it's mothers, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're uh, taking pictures and videos of the babies and the family, and right. just, they want those memories. Um, and in the moment, I'm like, can you fucking not? Yeah, you know? just enjoy the moment. Man. Yeah, but it, I guess it is nice. Like, you know, when my grandparents died, we, you know, one of the things you do is you go through. I, one of the things we did with both of them is we went through a bunch of pictures and got pictures out for the funeral and all that t- kind yeah, of thing. It's nice. And it's, yeah, just going through. It is nice to have them, you know. Matt, Matt sent me a picture the other day. Of you and me, uh, we were, I think we were up here uh, in, in Cleveland, and we were walking, I think we were like holding hands and skipping down like <laughs> down like the sidewalk or oh, something. Oh, I remember that. We were downtown, in downtown Columbus. I, oh, was it downtown yeah, Columbus? Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. It's yeah. like a high street area. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, legacy. Um, oh, I wanted to tell you, I went and shot my pistols, uh, both of them. Bang, bang. So, uh, so I did the concealed carry thing with my, with my wife, uh, way, way back when, you know, now you don't even need a couple years ago. Now I don't need it, but I, uh, I bought a gun back when they were hard to find. And in fact, there was a while when they were so hard to find, I had to like pre-order one and then wait for it to come in and then go pick it up. Right. Same thing. So yeah. yeah. Weeks. Weeks. To the point where, uh, you know, I bought the gun. And, you know, I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a wait period, but I got to the point where I was, like, trying to get a hold of the company. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, am I getting this fucking thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I did eventually end up getting it. So when my first one showed up, um, it's a full-size Beretta, and I didn't quite realize how big it was. And as soon as I opened it up, I was like, there's there's no way I can carry this gun. There's no way. Yeah. So I had to, I had to buy a smaller one, and I, after a little while, I did. So I had those guns and hadn't shot them apart from when I did the CCW training. And I'm like, look, man, if you're not going to practice with them and you're not comfortable with them, you're not carrying them. Like that's irresponsible. So, uh, I just hadn't, I hadn't been carrying them. They just been in a safe. So anyway, I, uh, I went and shot, uh, went to a range and shot a bunch and I went with, um, uh, with Jeff, with beautiful Jeff beautiful. And, and he had a bunch of guns. So I was able to shoot like five different pistols. Um, Nice. It was a lot of fun, man. Nice. And then br- bring them home and take them apart and clean, clean them. them. And that's, so that's a whole intimate process of getting to know the gun at that level. And it's intimidating at first. You know, like if you're not a mechanical guy, first of all, which I'm not, you're going to take apart this dangerous weapon. You're going to put it back together and trust yourself to fire a, a bullet out of it. <laughs> so so when you take it apart, you realize there's like less to it than you thought. Yeah. You know? Um, what sucks about that, it, th- that it's like simpler than you would imagine, is that if you put it back together and it's like not working right, you're like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> yeah. It's like some subtle little fucking thing, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I got, during that time, I got my Walther PPQ, and it's a big gun. I mean, it's not like huge. It's not like a, you know, a dirty, hairy gun or anything. (laughs) But it's like a full-size pistol. It's like a Glock 19 kind of size. I think it's a 19. Whatever Biggie says in that song, Warning. Um, that, that, you know, but it, 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 it's not a great concealed carry gun either, but I think I'm, I think I'm going to carry it. I want to get, I don't know if you've ever seen Steven Crowder, the, yes, you know, I love he's that. got like a leather yep. thing that it like would go right here yeah. on your ribs yep. and you just wear like flannels over it. And I, I want to get one of those. Yeah, that would be dope. That yeah. would, it would be super dope. And you, I could carry my bread that way yeah. and it, and it would, you'd be like a 19, like a detective from a 1980s a, TV show. Yeah. I love it. Um, I saw a guy, I was at Chipotle, I, I don't eat out very much anymore, um, So, but I was at Chipotle, and um, this guy came in, he was open carrying, and like I feel like you're displaying something about you that I think is cool, like I like guns, and I think that people, I think that everyone should own a gun, to be honest with you, um, and so I think that's cool, that's good, but I also don't, not a huge fan of open carry. Yeah. It seems um, like braggadocious on some level. Like, look what I got. Yeah, um, it's also kind of third worldy. It's like you expect to see people carrying guns in like Mexico, not you know, not in, in Guatemala, not in. Yeah, America. I don't have a problem with you carrying guns, but I agree with you that like it does seem. Yeah, third world is a good. It's so dangerous here. You gotta have, you gotta have gotta visibly have a gun on you. Yeah, and I also I think visibly having a gun is strategically not a great idea. You know, if you uh, if you're in a place and it's where a guy is about to do a mass shooting and he sees the guy with the gun on his hip, that's the first person I'm shooting. Yeah, it's, you make yourself a target for sure. And also, uh, this is the reason that is the most you know salient to me and it's something that i heard uh you know who tim kennedy is mm-hmm. mma fighter yeah. ex-army ranger um he said it's a lot easier for someone to just yank that out of your you know like oh yeah then they have your gun yeah so i do think if you were if you were in a place where like somebody was gonna come in and hold it up and you're the only guy with an open carry gun your target i i think that but if everybody has a gun, yeah, and you walk into that to rob that bank or so or, or what convenience Bad store or whatever, for you. yeah, you're turning around. Yeah. You know, if everybody has an open gun, yeah, um, just popped on my head. I want to show you this thing. Uh, so we have. I know we're a little all over the place, but I was looking over here at the wall of cave paintings. The penis wall. The penis wall of cave paintings. Yep. <clears throat> and I said once before that if I found another cave painting uh, that fit the bill, that I would uh, add to the wall. And I ordered one. I want to show, right, I want to show it to you. It. It's not actually a painting. Added to the collection. There it is. Uh, this here. Oh. So I have a print of this, the Lion Man of Holstein-Stadtel. It's so, so, <laughs> so German. I think German. I don't know. I have, to wiki, I have to wiki it. But it's made of wood. It's a carving. You can see it. You can see it's a lion. It's yeah. got a head of a lion, but it's standing upright with the body of a man. So it fits this theme of the therianthropes that we have on the wall, these half-human, half-animal creatures. Yep. Uh, let's see. This is a cool picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, look at the face, man. It's cool as hell. This thing is 40,000 years old. Back when there were European lions. Absolutely there were. That's crazy. It's beautiful, man. It reminds you of like the ancient Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. Yeah. Um, like the statues of Sekhmet. Reminds me of that... Uh 
was that cartoon with the cats? Thundercats. <laughs> Thundercats? It looks like a character from Thunder. It looks like Panthro. I want to... Why are you zooming in on its penis? <laughs> I want to see if it's if it's uh, carved in here because it's in all three of these other cave paintings. Um, yeah, I don't know what I've done here, but you get the idea. Yeah, it's cool. So I ordered a print of this, and it's going to go up on the wall somewhere uh, eventually. Cool beans, man. I, I would like to have like a replica of that, you know, like a physical replica of that. Absolutely. That'd be sweet. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's see if I can figure out where, it, uh, where it's from. It's just called Lion Man. 38,000 BC. It's Jesus a Christ. A long time ago. Uh, let's see. It's made of ivory, which is why it's still holding up. It looks like wood. It's made of ivory. It was found in a German cave in 1939. But you could 3D print that. That's super cool, man. I wonder what kind of ivory it was. It doesn't matter. All right, so that's coming. European lions, man. Back in the day. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so they had they had lions in Europe, and they had cave bears. Mm-hmm. And the, the cave bears, as you s- would, might expect, lived in the caves. And that's where people lived back then in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's these... Uh, there's the, I don't can't remember the names of them specifically, but there's these altars that they found, and they call them altars. Bec- well, you'll see when I explain it. It's like deep in a cave where human beings lived, where there's like evidence of fire and charcoal and shit like that. Going back to the ice age, and you know, deep into the ice age, they have skulls of cave bears that are perched up on little nooks in the mountain, and some of them have their femur bones through the jaw or eyes of the skulls. And they're like perched up in these little nooks inside the uh, the mountain, like you can imagine something from like um, like the Temple of Doom or something. And people would go back there and arrange these cave bear skulls. And what they were doing back there was some kind of ritual magic or some burial. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. No one knows because they, they, those cave bear skulls have been back there, placed by human hands, thirty, twenty, thirty, forty thousand years ago. What were they doing back there, man? Being uh, bored. No, I don't think they were being bored. I think they were... I mean, it might have been burial stuff, but it, they might have been tripping balls and having some kind of crazy rituals back there. You don't there. think boredom leads to tripping balls, bro? Mm, it does, yeah. <laughs> um, it can. Yeah, for sure. But also, I don't know. Like, how... How many thousands of years into consciousness, you know, the crown of sentience, um, do does it take people to understand that mushroom gets you fucked up? And I, when I say fucked up, I mean you yeah. know, like takes you to another planet, shows you some something. Well, if you well if you if you go down the Terrence McKenna line, it's even before that we were human, yeah, yeah. humans, right? We were eating mushrooms Monkeys. and caused us to become human, or, or was a contributing factor. So True. maybe. And, and you see that, remember when Joe Rogan was talking about that, um, like, leopard in South America that was eating that psychedelic plant and just, like, rolling on, on its back, and, like, it was like it was a kitty cat playing with a ball of, of yarn? Yeah. Like, there are, there are animals that intentionally eat, you know, like reindeer, yeah. you know, intentionally drink their, their own piss and trip. Yeah, yeah. Animals trip on that. purpose. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, what? I'm like, I even mean that beyond, like, um... But I guess it would be the same answer. Uh, what I was going to say is I mean that beyond uh, just, like, intoxicants and things like that. Like, this is safe to eat. And and then, like, how they know that, like, 
certain leaves from certain plants, if you crush them up and put them on a wound, that it's going to, like, help disinfect it? Like, how... I mean, just trial and error, I guess? That's the only thing that comes to my mind. Fuck, man. I mean, they're, 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 you could imagine there might be some accidental um, discoveries, like how we discovered penicillin. There might have been some accidental discoveries where things were, you know, I don't know. Meat, meat was left out, and you know, whatever. There might, yeah. there might be certain freak instances they noticed. Oh, this didn't go bad. Maybe there's some magic in it. Maybe we should put it in our cuts. I don't know. I don't know, it's man. Fucking crazy. It is crazy. Um, it just like it's such a leap to go from not doing that to doing that. You know what I mean? It's like at one point these leaves are just, um, I don't know, things that are connected to trees. You know, I guess you might use them for like cushions. You know, if yeah. the, when they fall, you mound them up and then use it as a cushion. But then at some point to like well, start like, like cooking them down. Well, and, I mean, like, you think just, just imagine what it's like to be a human being. Like you're going to be watching animals. You're going to mm-hmm. see them eat leaves. And then you're going to think, I'll try them. And then you might think, well, if, if I can eat this leaf, maybe I can eat another. And then, so there's some trial and error going on. But there's probably, there's probably observation of nature that's helping that along. Yeah. What about, what about things like, like you brought up medicine and uh, willow bark? That's where we get aspirin from. Yeah. And I, it's, not ju- it's not the outer bark. It's the inner bark. So somebody had to have pulled the bark off that tree and taken the skin you know, off the inside of that bark and boiled that in water. And found out that it was that, you know, somehow that that's where the where the potent factors were. How long that took to happen? Who would have put that in water in in the first place and boiled it and drank it? It's bark from a tree that's not edible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, um, you know, a lot of times people talk about alchemy and it's just thinking about turning lead into gold, you know. But uh, if you, I, I would like to look into it more. But the little bit I do know about alchemy, it's that it's like. It's stuff like that. It's like taking a plant part and boiling it down and bring it, bringing it down to its essence, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like you're trying to manipulate material um, in a way to find out what, it's, what the essence of that thing is. It's interesting because that's something that is so human. Like we want to take things apart and find out what they're made of. Yeah. That's something that we want to do, and it might be an explanation for the tree bark, too. You have a tree. You immediately want to start pulling it apart and seeing what's there. Mm-hmm. You find out, you know, there's bark on the outside, there's wood on the inside. In between, there's some, you know, skin. So, you know, just taking something apart and seeing how it works and how it's put together and how you can manipulate it, that that's a super primal instinct, you know? Um so that that that's probably has something to do with it. Yeah, I think you're right that a lot of it I bet you does come from at least the intuition to do these things probably does come from watching nature, especially you think about back then. I mean, that's it's all there is is being out in nature and just observing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, <laughs> what? Nature was TV. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, nature, that TV is nature, you know, everything is nature, but you know, that kind of like being out in it and not being distracted and everything is nature. Listen to you, Spinoza. I know. Was that one of those Spinocisms? (laughs) That's a throwback. What episode was Spinoza? Dude, that goes way back. That's early. Yeah, it's early. It was a good one though. Yeah, dude. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to the old ones. Yeah? Yeah. 
Nice, dude. <laughs> it's the only one way to get better at podcasting. You got to listen to yourself and, and cringe. That's how you get better. Yeah. Figure out how to be less cringy, you know? True that. It's like hearing yourself talk on an answering machine or in a recording and you think your voice sounds weird. It's because it does, man. Work on it. Work I got I got past the the sound of the voice. Yeah, me too. I don't really it doesn't really bother me that much anymore. Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Stuff stuff you learn when you're doing radio. Doing radio. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Internet radio. Oh, speaking of internet radio, Sirius does not leave us alone, man. So you know how they give you free Sirius when you when you buy a new yeah. car. A lot of times you get free Sirius for a certain period of time, um, and then it expires, and nobody cares. Nobody wants it. They just keep sending you, you know, emails and letters and calls. They seem desperate for, uh, yeah, desperate gonna, for users, man. But they're persistent. They're yeah, they are them. persistent for sure. What else you got, Kyle? Oh, that was it. Okay, I thought you were going somewhere no. else with that. Sirius, yeah, I, I like Sirius. Uh, in the times where I've had uh, access to Sirius, there's good shit on there. At least. There was, you know, like now you can just have a podcast. So I wonder if there's as much hmm. good shit on Sirius. It's a good question. You know, uh, do you know who Jason Ellis is? I went to high school with a guy named Jason Ellis. Yeah. Is that how you're talking about? Maybe, I doubt <laughs> it. But uh, the, this guy's from Australia and he was a no. professional skateboarder. Okay, not the same guy. Go yeah. ahead. Um, and now he did a, 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 a radio show on Sirius called the Jason Ella show. And I think now it's a podcast. Oh. It might still be on Sirius, but it's definitely a podcast too. Um, he was on there. I mean, Stern was on there. Although I think, do you ever listen to Howard Stern? Were you ever much of a Stern person? Just for a brief time, uh, for a brief time, man, you remember when, um, Rover's morning glory was, uh, yeah, was, was yeah. on the air in Columbus. I got in, I got on Rover once I called in and got on air. On Rover. <laughs> oh yeah. Hell yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to Rover and Stern, uh, for a while. Um, that was like right at the at the end of high school, when I, right after I graduated, but only for a brief time. Yeah, yeah. I like I liked those kind of shows, but I mean, I uh, b- when Stern was good, I got in trouble for watching it. You know, like I was younger and yeah, and you know, not allowed to watch those sort sorts of things. You remember Private Parts, the movie? Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember. That movie. <laughs> I, remember I, I was that. of an age when that movie yeah. came out. Boys of a certain age. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like that kind of, uh, like Opie and Anthony, you ever listen to them? Yeah. yeah they were the best, I think. Yeah. I, I'm with Rogan on that. They were, it was just like a hang, you know, like a bunch of comedians talking shit. It was funny. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something that you can't duplicate. You know, you, you got the right group of comedians. They're all that type of personality that can carry the show basically by themselves. You get them together in a way that's organic and funny uh, that, you know, that's a that's a diamond in the rough, man. You're ne- you can never recreate an opening Opie and Anthony show. You could try. Can you remember you you just talking about that made me think that like when you have you know a bunch of personalities like that, you're sometimes you're gonna have moments that are like kind of awkward. Can you think of any like when you like moments where you've been listening to a podcast and you've been like this is like uncomfortable or weird yeah yeah for sure i'm trying to think of what specifically comes to mind i know that i've listened to them too but i'm having a hard time i can only think of one off the top of my head i can tell you what was awkward was when philip goff was on joe rogan's podcast oh yes (laughs) he just didn't understand yeah he was trying to talk about the mind body problem and there there was just a disconnect yeah 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 Yeah, that was pretty not that was pretty cringy for uh, rogan doesn't do that kind of stuff often though so um, I can think of one that also involves Rogan. Yeah. Um, 
they were it was Rogan, obviously. Uh, he had Shane Gillis, Ari Shafir, and I think Mark Normand. Yeah, they were all there. Um, and Ari, at one point, they're getting or uh, Joe is like having. Jamie brings something in for them to like taste or something. I forget what exactly it is. Uh, but there's like just a moment of silence and R uses that to like plug his tour dates. And Rogan basically like tells him to shut up as like, uh, oh. it's like, you know, what are you doing? This is going to be a clip, on, a clip on the internet, you know? And it's like those tour dates aren't going to be, you know, like uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be on the internet forever. Yeah. He scolded his friend. Yeah. It was just like super uncomfortable. Yeah. That is uncomfortable, especially because when you know, the position that Rogan's in and the position that Ari's in. Yeah. You know, not that Ari's not huge, but Yeah, Ari's got a he's doing well for himself. Yeah, but, but you just don't you don't you don't say anything to Joe about that. You just shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean when somebody's doing as much for you as Rogan has done for a lot of those guys, you kinda just let you know yeah. I'm sure you just let it roll off yeah. your back, but uh I bet you Ari was irritated about it on the inside. Knowing Ari uh, from listening to his podcast, I bet you he, he was irritated by it. Uh, I can speculate on that because I'm not involved, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, wrapping, wrapping this up, then let me just say uh, I, I was debating whether I should bring anything up at all, but I'll just plan a little teaser here that uh, we're planning on an, uh, an interview episode that should be a little bit of a, of a treat if, uh, if it all works out. So I won't say any more than that, just that we may have uh, an interesting interview episode coming up. We may, we may not. You know, I don't want to get your hopes up, but, you know, it's something. Uh, also, oh, yeah. Josh Hamilton, um, my buddy Josh, who's been on the podcast a few times, uh, he was supposed to have his, his podcast up and running, I think, um, I think any day now so it's been a couple of weeks since uh, he sent me a picture showing me the rest of his podcast equipment arrived um, and I've been meaning to give him shit about it because I haven't heard hide nor hair of that guy's podcast so I'm I'm interested uh, it's supposed to be Faith Fringe and Freedom that's supposed to be the name so I'm going to have to get on his ass and see if we can uh, if we can uh, it's a good name yeah Faith Fringe and Freedom Faith Fringe and Triple F baby what would you do if you were asked to give up your dreams for freedom, you don't remember this? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Would you oh, answer oh, the yes call? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Or walk away like a little movie. pussy. Uh, shout out to... Team America, that's it. Shout out to Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yes, indeed. You got anything else to say, man? Um, Do I have anything else to say? No, I don't think so. All right. We love you guys. Peace. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.